Welcome back to How Can You Just Leave Me Standing, the podcast where we go in search of Prince. We'll be talking to band members, artists influenced by the Purple One, academics and fans in an attempt to shine further light on a unique musical legacy. I also want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners from around the world who've been tuning in and downloading the show. From Paris to Detroit, from Bombay to Brazil, we really appreciate your support. Please keep clicking on subscribe, leaving your reviews and spreading the word, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Ghana, Jio7 or any of the other great platforms out there. Today we welcome Neil Carlin, former contributing editor for Rolling Stone magazine, staff writer for Newsweek, regular contributor to the New York Times, and the author of Babes in Toyland, the making and selling of a rock and roll band. He's also written books on a variety of different subjects, including sports, religion, and culture. He lives in his hometown of Minneapolis, which was well and truly put on the global stage by one of its most famous sons, Prince. Neil not only interviewed Prince several times, He's also published a memoir about his friendship with the artist, This Thing Called Life, which is also available as an audiobook, the excerpts of Candid Conversation, captured in the 1980s. Thanks for having me. No, thank, thank you. I mean, I, I, must, I must say this to you, that I'm quite tickled at being able to speak to you. The reason for that is, is that as a, as a kind of fan of Prince, when I was in high school, there was a there was a fairly seminal documentary made about Prince. It was a BBC omnibus one. I remember that. Yeah, you, I remember when they came to town. <laughs> you, you featured on it, and I remember there's a phrase that you used that really stuck in my head. You were talking about Prince, and you said something like, "You were you were wondering if the interview was going to happen." You said, "Please don't let my scoop go away," you know. And I I I kind of feel that because I saw that documentary many many moons ago as a teenager and as a big Prince fan, I kind of feel. Talking to you is a bit like that for me. That's so flattering. I'm like hiding in plain sight, but it's it's interesting how many people remember that documentary, which I remember as the omnibus people who were wonderful people showed up in town. And I kind of think they thought, because we're the BBC omnibus, he'll talk to, you know, like when we get to his door and there are toys. And I think they only came to me out of a panic, like when he didn't you know i was like the default thing and but that was fun or what's fun is when people recall recall to me that or like the first wrong the first really it's not so pompous you know where he hadn't talked for a while no remember what that was like when he was riding around you know and it's it's it makes me feel really good it's like oh it's like from a previous lifetime but it's fun when previous lifetimes connect up like i hadn't written about prince for it retyped his name for 26 years when he, until the week he died, you know? And, uh, yeah. It was, a, do you ever have like previous lifetimes? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all the time. And I guess, yeah, because, you know, listening to Prince as a, a teenager, uh, you, it, it keeps you, it's like, you know, the music you listen to when you were a teenager is the music that, that remains eternally the most influential to you. And you are kind of, trapped in that time even though you you try to continue to listen to things that you deem cutting edge or or you know you try and be eclectic in your tastes it's hard not to revert back to that and that is that is another time you know you've lived several lifetimes since then even though you still you still love it yes and there is that connection what was fun was it was just as seminal a time for me ah to be 25 and writing a cover story for Rolling Stone, you know, where I, it was just, it was as heavy as being that song when you're a teenager, you know what I mean? Which I had too, you know, it just, um, it's nice when it doesn't feel like, what, what, it felt like a, a good reconnection with the past. And, and, and that made me feel good. It also reminded me of why I had to stop writing and talking about him after X, you know, years and X, cover stories and you know it's just that becomes your identity and so much about Prince I just I just didn't know I felt like a phony a fraud you know to say oh Prince would like this and even I now when people what would Prince want who knows what he would want you know he he didn't know from second to second what he wanted so um 
I had to just, and, and also the music business was, I wanted to be a fan again. There's a quote in the book where you say that Minneapolis is by far the most racist, segregated city that you've ever lived in. Now, I, I've I've actually visited Minneapolis a couple of times. I mean, surprise, surprise, it was to come to one or two of Prince's legendary celebrations that he hosted. Um, and I had my own kind of experience of it. And, you know, as, as a, a white Scottish man, unsurprisingly, I never experienced that. I, I hung out in places like the Loring Park Cafe. I don't know if you remember that place. Yeah, of course, yeah. Gr- of course. Great place. I've got, some, I've got some really happy memories of just being in and around Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, and you also talk about Minneapolis ways, this ap- apologetic kind of passive aggressive thing that exists um, for people in that city. I mean, t- could you just talk a bit more about sort of maybe Minneapolis in the 70s? Because I, I was lucky enough to interview Mark Brown, Brown Mark, um, who you'll know as part of the revolution. And he he talked about how really segregated almost nightclubs were and the music scene was. But um Give us a sense of Minneapolis in the 70s and the, the sort of atmosphere that yourself and, and Prince and others would have uh, kind of grown up around. Well, it was very segregated, just geographically. It's like certain cities, are the way they're built and have been zoned and the way the highways have been, cha- you know, purposely usually to push certain groups, you know, it it was so Chicago is like that. Chicago is a very segregated city. I mean, even though it's got a huge black population, you know, it's just very segregated. New York isn't as segregated, but um, but for the first time they started mixing, and I think um, downtown there started to be clubs, and they're used to. It's weird to say words like mixing. It sounds like nineteen fifties or there, you know, and there was race mixing, but people became aware that yes, there, there, there are black people in Minneapolis and Minneapolis has a terrible reputation in terms of racism, covenants, anti-Semitism. I mean, it was named the most anti-Semitic city in the country in the, in the 1940s. And, but it hides behind what someone, this is where George Floyd happened. Let, let's not forget that shook yeah. the world. And, and friends who I have, who work within and I know the North side very well. That's how my grandparents, I, I used to visit my grandparents every weekend, two blocks away from where Prince lived. It had been a Jewish black neighborhood and like everywhere else there had been white flight in the sixties, but my grandparents stayed. They, they walked from Russia, they were staying. So that's the first place I apparently might have encountered prince it wasn't until i was later but it was it was the city was black there were there was no black station radio station in town um it didn't exist it was there was like four hours of rhythm and blues on one radio station that if you went over a hill you couldn't you couldn't hear anymore and prince often talked about how that informed his music listening to to white guitarists those are those were the influences on him, and that was the Minneapolis sound base, whatever. If if there is such a thing, mm. is, I guess there is. Is that you know? Um, and it's it's everything. It's the Memphis sound, the Detroit sound. And it's funny. I'm just remembering sentences I said back to the BBC in 1990, and how they're still true today. Just because you brought up that that thing, and I'm going, wait a minute, you said that already, like 32 years. <laughs> I'm delighted that you're saying that again, to be perfectly honest. You deserve original material. If it was good in the past, it's still good, Neil. I don't know if it was good then. You just brought up very fine. Well, you, listen, you, it's great in the book because you're very honest and you say that Prince has a memory of meeting you as a kid around the kind of basketball hoops of the local kind of neighbourhood. You don't remember it, but one thing I was going to say to you was, have you seen the footage that emerged recently of Prince? I think he was 11 years old, and it's just a few seconds. I mean, you must have been tickled by that, were you? It was great. It came out on a local TV station. 
but I loved it too, because it gave people friends who needed, you know, sometimes you need an excuse to write to friends. So it's like, you know, hey, did you see this thing that was on TV in Minneapolis? You know, it's like, I did, but it's good to hear. It was a good to see him again. And he was still print. You didn't you see, you know, um absolutely. Um, and I I heard a story today from someone who was a substitute teacher, it turned out, who had prints one day in eighth grade. And his name, his last his name was Jim Nelson. Um, and, and he just said, when he called out Prince Nelson, because he said, hey, we might be, uh, we might be related. And he said, no chance, fathead. And I thought Prince at 14, that sounded exactly like, you know, Prince at what, seeing the tape of him at age 11. I know I'm bouncing around. It still seemed like, well, what was it? The smile? Was it the wink? It was like that kid, you know? Absolutely. You can, you can see a genuine kernel of mischief, but just, you know, just, just a really energetic kid. sort of fortunate enough to to meet prince and talk with him several times a lot a lot of us don't don't have that experience but from the outside looking in it on one level it seems like a very sad story in the sense that you describe him as a very lonely individual and he he was obviously driven by a lot of different factors to become this very successful globally famous artist as he was and it's quite a sad story on a level, isn't it? I think, you know, now, now that more, and you, you kind of portray him much more as a, I, I, I mean, parts of parts of him seem like a very regular working class guy in a funny kind of way. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. There's a lot of tragic stuff. I wish he had been, had had more happiness in his life, but I think it's a really ultimately a life of triumph. And it's, I think the loneliness is the loneliness of being a true genius. And I don't use the word genius lightly it's both gave us this music but it separates you i am i am so happy i'm not a genius you know you are so you know he could not turn his brain off and it's why i started the book with a quote from albert einstein which i made sure albert einstein actually said which he said which was it's strange to be so universally known and yet so lonely because it does cut you off when you when you can play 24 instruments better than anybody who could play those instruments, you know, when, when you can do everything and he could not turn his brain off. And so that he was with us for as long as he was, was sort of remarkable when you consider how long he was in pain for. Absolutely. Know? I mean, that we're, we're, we're sort of blessed. That, and also, I don't know if he would have survived George Floyd. I mean, I don't mean to head back mm. that, that a ways, but it's, sure. it's I, I think he would have done a soundtrack. You know what I mean? Oh, and made a great record. I mean, he would have made either sense of it or it would have killed him that this earth-shaking, you know, but there is stuff I wish he had been around, you know, he showed with Baltimore and stuff. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and obviously Prince fans, especially people who listen to his later career will know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just wondered, Neil, because the, I, I loved your book. I've, I've read lots and lots of books about Prince even the, the the meticulously detailed studio recordings of Dwayne Chudal and yeah. a lot of great what a lot of a lot of books that you name check in your own book. There's a lot of good stuff. Out there. there is, but w- were you worried though? Because you, you do you do peel back, you know, like you, you make the point that you know even even people who considered themselves as a friend of his only knew ten to fifteen percent of him. But even so, though, I did feel that we got a little peek behind. Kind of maybe a little bit, a little just a taste of who he might have been, kind of off the record, and you know you you're very you're very candid in some ways. Were you worried that you know because you make the point that when a person dies they are kind of deified and, and all the rest of it? But did you worry that by kind of telling a bit more of the truth, there might have been a backlash or like some people would sort of attempt to discredit what you've written because obviously. It's in certain people's interests to have a certain well, yeah, version no, of the Prince a, story. A, a, I mean, a lunatic fringe. Of course, I define it as who like, I mean, I would open the mail in the morning. It would be like, I hope you die. You know, it's like, I mean, there were some people who were cuckoo. 
of any group, X percent of lawyers, miniature golfers, people who play cricket, Prince, you know, are, are out there and they claim they knew Prince or they claim this event couldn't have happened because they were with Prince all the time. And I came to accept that. I really tried to portray Prince as a guy and it hurt people's, it hurt a few people's feelings. And I felt, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And so I would engage in conversation and, you know, with, with some people and it, would, and it was good. The only reason for me to even write a book, I mean, I didn't like cash in, try to get it right away, get, you know, it was, sure. I, I wrote it eight times. It was this, I had to describe this friendship that during, while he was alive, I never called him a friend. It was only afterwards that you realize, whoa, no one, none of his friends knew each other. It's like we'd suddenly, I would, you know, be talking to Andre Simone and he could fact check. Like I would say, the question I had in my mind as I wrote this book was, how do I write things that if I read, I would go baloney and throw across the room. And I just had to keep going back to what he said, what the, the letter I have that's mm. in the book. was a thanks for telling me to just tell the truth. And luckily I had tapes. Oh boy, you know. Um, Absolutely. You could hear him being, not only was it Prince talking, but it was like Prince the human being as opposed to Prince, not that he was, he had his show side. He was, he was a showman. And that often was not the real Prince, but what you hear on the audiobook, and I'm not trying to give advertisements, but it gave me credibility was, mm. yes, was those quotes I have in the book. Yes, he is actually saying right there like he's meaning it, you know so no no listen i, I i'm glad you, i'm glad you mentioned the audiobook to be perfectly honest because i i didn't know there was an audiobook and i i kind of i, I googled your name earlier and i try not to i, I don't i don't like to over research subjects because I, I find that it's it's better to just have the questions you want but i'm kind of glad i did because earlier today i listened to to some excerpts of your audiobook and and literally to hear prince's voice in that context it gave me it gave me shivers I've, I've got to be honest because i heard him speaking in a way i've never heard him speak before it's almost as if well obviously he knew you were taping it but it's like he forgot the tape was there or because yeah. i think it, you say he was a showman and you you make some fantastic parallels to to james brown and i've read james mcbride's book kill him and leave which I, which i also loved yeah and and i and i just think he was a show person most of the time and you know you talk about him having multiple personalities and all this kind of thing and but it was i genuinely thought when i heard those excerpts earlier so i'm going to listen to the whole thing at some point i really felt like i was hearing him for the first time and actually it comes across in your book as well <laughs> and some of the funny stuff is is the, the the contradictory stuff you know they do as i say not as i do so you know you you, you do it very well but it's, it's very funny the way you tell the story of you know obviously at a certain point of his in his career he was widely advertised as vegetarian and you know you talk about um going to is it rudolph's barbecue joint right, he's, right. He's, he's, right he's down the street, rudolph. yeah so he was a vegetarian <laughs> except when he wasn't you know which is most yeah. You know, I mean, it's... exactly. And, you know, I, I didn't think it's kind of like, you know, Prince was, was definitely a hero of mine and an inspiration in life. But I don't I didn't think any less of him for, for knowing that. But um, and the swearing, you know, uh, the, and, you know, the propensity to um, have, let's say, evolving views on on religion and and kind of religious beliefs. But it did it, it did really feel that um, just a little sort of portion of the real guy was being revealed uh even though as, as you rightly point out we're never gonna know <laughs> large portions and percentages of Thank that you. person that's great that's what i you know like i you know so I, I start the book i'm writing in the coffee shop i always write some, some a friend you know someone i knew comes up and says you know I mean, i'm sorry but why do we need another book about prince well i wasn't I said, sure I yeah I, I said you're absolutely right and the only thing i thought was missing was the guy who uh, the human being and to show the human being is to show you know the not perfect people you know human you know we're, we're humans and some people 
didn't want to know, but I, what I wanted to do was humanize and show people that, whoa, he really did give us a lot. I mean, not, I mean, show him as, as, as a, as a human being who was hurting to give us that show for the last 31 years of his life. You know, he was not in pain. come back to the point about his pain i i just before i forget this i, I must just ask you this this is really a as of an emotion maybe a slightly emotional question on a human level for you but you you have a uh not to spoil that it's a bit of the book too much but you have a handwritten note from prince which has the words i love you on it um i mean with, without any greater deeper analysis i mean how how does that actually feel because i I don't know how many people he may have said that to in his life, but obviously many of his relationships were fraught or short or problematic as, as we know, but that's quite a thing, isn't it? To have a <laughs> written note from a character like that. After the book, I mean, I actually, the first thing I wrote in, I wrote a thing for the Star Tribune, we, we had, um, the Minneapolis paper, just a short little thing after he died. I didn't write some, I am the Prince expert, hear ye, hear ye, you know, it was a short little, it was only in the digital edition. And um, the piece is about how I read, I read that letter again after he died. And I mean, how he wrote, I love you. And this is a guy who I didn't know if he was my friend while we were, while he was alive. And it was me coming to understand too late, i.e. after he's dead, that, whoa, not only was he a friend, he was saying, you know, he did, you know, and um, so, yeah, it did. It really shook me. My own stupidity kind of astonished me, you know, I mean, that I could have that for 15, you know, and just sort of see it, but not see it until the day after he, he, he died, you know, the classic. Absolutely. And I thought maybe the book is trying to, you know, get that guilt out. I don't know. You know, there's, I don't know. And, and and I'm not here to make you feel sad. I, I just thought it was astonishing. But there's also and the, the other great thing is that there's tons of humor in the book as well. And for those of us who are not um, uh, who are not American citizens and birthed in Americana, you tell this. There's a really hilarious story in the book where you say that yourself and Prince were in a car. I believe this may have been your 1985 interview where you sang the theme from The Crusher. And yeah. Now, to, to people in U UK, Europe, other parts of the world that don't know what the crusher is, can you can you kind of enlighten us and maybe I don't know, maybe hum a little bit of that theme? Just, <laughs> I'm sure you have professional wrestling. Yeah, I know you did. So he was just the Minneapolis star who talked like this, and I'm going to take this guy apart at the Minneapolis auditorium. So when when he was a year older than me, growing up, he was. And a group recorded a song called The Crusher, a local group, and it became like a minor hit. And it's just like, do the crush. And so he could, it was such a piece of his past that I was lucky enough that, oh yeah, I happened to be in Minneapolis at the time. And I was a big pro wrestling fan. And so I could get references that, that he liked. And I'm glad you found the book funny because I want, because he was hysterical. He was, he was just really, really funny. So glad that my last visual seeing him, I, I recount my last talking to him, which was a sort of disturbing thing. It was three weeks before he died. But my last seeing him, which was several months before then, he was laughing and he had it. I'm glad that came through to you. You know, it's like, oh, because if it's, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want it to be just this drag. I don't, you know, I wanted it to be him. And he was funny and he was sad. And on that, those tapes almost tell the whole story you hear him laugh you hear that laugh and you also hear him so 
sad that it's almost like you don't know if you can get his next word out. And that almost tells more than any typewritten, you know, did you feel it? Did you feel it? I'm really glad to, to hear the tapes uh, as, as somebody that really loved sort of Prince's work. But did you feel a did you feel a dilemma? Because because there's obviously in his lifetime you would never have released them. And how how did you kind of sort of square that off in terms of well, making that available? I, I did, and I had a, you know um, he said to me, you know what the thing is on his tape first I had them out and he said. He never said, don't release them, you know? He just said, don't give them to anybody and, um, or don't let it, and I kept them out of the hands of, you know, they appeared in the words had been in print before, but I hadn't let fact checkers because at Rolling Stone, I, I'd play them for them, but I wouldn't leave them overnight because they get, stuff has gotten boot, like the book has gotten, you know, it's not because it's so, it's just print, yeah. you know, print, you know, and, um, um, I felt he would be okay. You know, if I would end up this book thinking I had, if I feel like I had betrayed him or I had really done, you know, taken advantage, cashed in, sold out, sold him out, was an old, another old friend for sale. I wouldn't be on your, I, I would, I would feel terrible. I mean, I would, I, I like spent too much time to sort of, do that and I hope that comes through in the book th that it's real and I tell say that to people and I don't know even what I mean when I say I hope it sounded real see a real person in there who is also identifiable as Prince and I wanted to tell a biography and um but also a story of he could be friends with people and I I didn't know that until he was gone and when he was gone I found you know I there were but no one isn't that uh, you know we all are like we all compartmentalize our life to a certain extent and we both and we all all of us can be contradictions can be cheap and generous can be sloppy and you know we we all have contradictions but he was the most compartmentalized person I'd ever I'd ever seen and I think it was part of his thing you know that Absolutely. And the, the, another really funny moment in the book is um, I think Prince is at the point where you're trying to get the exclusive on Prince in the mid 80s when he's at the peak of his fame. And I think you'd interviewed Wendy and Lisa and his band. And I think Prince has come to the conclusion that he would like to speak to you. So what he decides to do is he calls your family home. I think he calls your mum and dad. And I think you can correct this for me because I, I've not got a photographic memory in terms of the story, but he calls. He calls up and speaks to your mum, and she says, "Prince who?" And he, he angrily says, "The prince." And then this becomes a bit of a running joke between no, the two of you. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. Also, my mother, as long as she was alive, you know, I was coming in from New York, so and and my folks still there, and I moved back here. I live in Minneapolis. I mean, I eventually moved back, but at the time, he didn't know I was from Minneapolis, except he called my mother and. Um, um, she'd always say, say hello to the prince. And he thought it was hysterical and it became a running thing. And um, she also hung up on him. She had just discovered call waiting. It was like 1985 and call waiting had just arrived. And so she hung up on him and called him the wrong, you know, the, and so he thought it was hysterical. And, you know. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a lovely story. Did, did he, I mean, and he, you also mentioned that he, he would, you know, as, as other people have mentioned, he would just call you all times of the day and night, mostly in the middle of the night. I mean, did he ever sort of prank you in any way? Uh, did he play practical jokes on you or did he just want to speak to you for a, a multi, multitude yeah, it of was reasons? Mostly he would, you know, it wasn't like he was, oh, he'd call you at four in the night to talk about the meaning of life. That was like the middle of his working day. And he just he was very aware of his talent and he felt it gave him certain so um and the thing is i have an i used to make fun of him i tell him i'd say i know i'm not you're like oh four in the morning call i know i'm just probably the only person in minneapolis still awake at 4 30 who will talk about you know shallowly 18 different you know the minnesota vikings to suicide to love to football you know I mean it was just and I sent, kind of told them that much to myself because it seemed presumptuous to say I'm a friend of Prince it's like saying I'm 
I'm a friend of the Queen of England. No, it's the, just the mere fact that you would say that means you're not, you know? And you see that a lot since he's passed, a lot of experts who really claim to know the complete prince. And I think that's an immediate gong for people to watch, you know, because no, in my view, at least, mm. no one knew the whole prince. And that was part of his, he had to do that. He had to separate. There seems to be not not so much in your book, but other books I've read. Um, Mighty's book is a very interesting book, uh, um, as as various others are. People that sort of worked with him over periods. There often seemed to be a blurred line between friendship and employment, almost. Um, and and that and I guess even the individuals themselves found that you know quite quite a tricky thing to navigate you mentioned i think morris hayes uh, his keyboardist at one point talks about him having five different personalities and um you know and others have talked about that but do you think there was a do you think there was a, an element of uh prince's sort of circle at any given moment where friendship and employment really did blur i mean you could talk about wendy lisa and susanna and, yeah. they're, and they're different instances aren't there it's you know and i don't think it's unusual in the business year around music and the thing is it did become a thing though, where he employed everyone who worked for him and it changes things and it changed things for him. And he would, if, if you worked for him, you worked for him, you know? And he took it very seriously. I think that was an advantage I had that for all, except for one or two specific cases, I just, I didn't work for him and I didn't seemingly want anything from him. Um, and I, didn't I mean I didn't if there's no question I was treated better because I didn't work and there were those people but by the end there were fewer and fewer and there were fewer and fewer people his age by then who were in his inner bubble and I try to make clear I was not in his inner you know I think the reason I knew him for was able to know him the last time was, like, was that I did keep my distance and I did keep away from Paisley Park I never knew what the hell was going on you know and um, and I think that gave, I, I don't know, you know, people try to read his mind and we just, we, we don't know. And um, I just hope, you know, in my heart, I hope he would have liked that book. I mean, for myself, I guess it's a selfish need. He doesn't know that, but um, so I, I don't, I think I was a good friend, you know, so, and that oh. sounds so cocky, but those are my favorite reviews are the ones that say, so I'm like quoting my brain cocky reviews and um prince fans are so passionate you know i mean it's like uh oh yeah run into have you like angered you know some some prince fans uh, me personally i i don't know i mean it's it's an interesting question because you know if it, that's the thing i mean when i first um connected with you and i said one of the things i liked most about your book was that it doesn't deify prince because that's as, as much as i've loved his music and all his career and all the rest of it I've tried very, very hard, and it's been difficult to step back and be a bit, little bit detached from it at the right moments. Um, it's it's possible if if some of the conversations I've kind of recorded and interviews I've done, and I've I've written a lot of pieces over the years as well. Right. Um, no, you're 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 on you're a, a source. You're a, yeah. It's you know it's possible, but then I think it's it's you know, the impression I get from you and, I, you know, I'd like to think I'm coming from the same place is if you're coming at it from a place of kind of love and respect, then, yeah. you know, you, you can't really go wrong because you, you, you respect the kind of subject matter or that you're trying to do it with a little bit of integrity um, and trying to be objective as well. You know, um, that's yeah. the point you're talking about a flawed kind of human being really as, as we all are. And um, you know what really helped? There, there are a few people who were just on the scene at various times, like some in business thing, you know, and just to have them go, yes, that was how it mm. was. You know, Andre Simone to go, yes, he did like that TV show and that TV. You know, it's like, okay, good. I'm not cuckoo, you know? And, but you know what I mean? It, that helped so much was that 
just, you know, a few people, you know, um, it was just like, oh, you know, I know I didn't just do an awful evil thing, you know, which I didn't think I had done, but people take things, you know, and, Absolutely. and any backlash, I, it's been so minor. I've been so lucky, you know, people have been really kind. It's gotten great. So it's, um, I feel good about that. And I have, so um, I, I hope I don't sound cocky at all because I'm not like, the Prince Whisperer. It's not like I have a special insight. I don't, you know, he didn't like a lot of people and I don't know why he allowed me to occupy one of those compartments. It wasn't like I was his best friend, but that was probably why I knew him so long ago, like I said, but I don't know. I hope I'm not coming off as like, I know everything, you know, because it's- No, no, it's all, no, That it's was all. part of the thing is that no one knew everything and you should beware of, Prophets claiming to know all. The, the expression bad mama jama that you uh, referred to quite a few times, which was Prince's alternative to using the, the the famous expletive he yeah. actually he actually uses it in a song called old school company i don't know if you've i don't know if you've heard that yeah. right yet yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right it's great because it, he uses it in a really funny way as well which is good so it's, it's just what a great I, word isn't it just a great word it's like there's a place called the urban dictionary here where you can order like a mug with they define it where it says you know an alternative word for expletive you know so it's it, it's it's I, I, I took it very fondly, you know. Now, it would be remiss of me not to talk to you about Prince's mother and father, uh, given kind of what a seminal sort of influence they had on him. And like you, I enjoyed Dan Pippenbring's book yeah. uh, that he pulled together. I actually, very bizarrely, I never spoke to Prince's mother, but I went to one of Prince's celebrations. You know, he had a handful of these summer celebrations that he invited fans to. The very right. first one... He had, um, he had a little kind of nightclub room almost inside Paisley Park for those people listening who who never went there while he was alive. And I think it, sometimes it was referred to as the love for one another room, but it was almost like a little club set up with a staircase up yeah. to a DJ booth. And anyway, one night there were a few fans in, and it was always a kind of thing of would at that time would Prince show, would he not? And he did, he did show up, and it was it's quite surreal, you know. He sort of stood at the top of the staircase playing kind of records for people to dance to. And his mother came in with uh, uh, possibly another female relative, a younger lady. And and even more bizarrely, on the dance floor, as I remember it, there was a sofa. And I don't know if he knew his mother was coming, but it, it's it's almost as if it had been left there for her to sit on. So his, his, his mum um, uh, and another lady who I don't, uh, unidentified, Sat down and just kind of watched these Prince fans sort of having effectively a Prince yeah, hosted. In town. That, I mean, she was very, you know, she was a very dignified woman. She was like a school counselor in the Minneapolis school system. And she, you know, Prince told these hideous tales about her. And she was, she was the one who schlepped him around with dentist appointments and ice, you know, but she was a guidance counselor who also, you know, she's the one who kept it together. Um, but there was a tension, obviously. But to the end of his end of her life, and you know, her his father was very love hates on both ends, both ways, in a way that I think both destroyed him and I think made it inevitable that you know he would zoom to the top with that talent. Um, uh, his father, you know, his his father doesn't come across well in your book. I think it has it has, no. to, it has to be said, and, and, uh, and yes, and it makes me it makes me and I'd always from the outside looking in, it's hard to be objective. But clearly, um, you you've had the benefit of meeting him, you know, in the past and and speaking to him, and so you've more you've maybe more sense of that tension between prince and his father as you describe it but clearly some kind of damage and quite significant harm was done on a number of levels wasn't it it was but there's also 
on the flip side, a kind of worship. Was, you know, and I was pretty harsh on his father, but I think if you look up on YouTube, you know, him, the 1990 something thing where he demonstrates how he, how his son stole Purple Rain from him. You, you get a, he had the career Prince wanted, but he also had the, he had the belief in his own genius. And it's a, it's a terrible thing to see a parent jealous of their own child. And that, and I felt even at, in the idiocy of my being 25, which is when I first met him, I felt like I got it right there. He want, you know, this was, and he did, he played in the honky tonk to me, but he never got, you know, he played the part, but he never got to play the role. You know, I mean, he, he knew how to dress the part and pretend the part, but it just, it, and, you know, Prince visited him every day in the hospice. Yet as soon as he died, he had the house where he lived, not just so, you know, bulldoze, you know, his famous purple house, you know, it's not anything incisive. It's, it's noticed before that Prince didn't want to just, you know, move on from the past, let alone forget that he wanted to bulldoze the past. He wanted to like make, you know, it wasn't enough that he was divorced from, you know, my, he was, the marriage was a no, this never happened. And he saw that, and he said, you know, from our very first interview, he said, God, you, you know, with people, he said, I was so awful a person that half the people, half the things people said to me were true. I'd cut people off for no reason, just turn my back on them for no reason. You know, and he said this at 25 and, you know, he did it again at 27, you know, people who he was really close to recurring, you know, and people will psychoanalyze it to death. I, it is what it is and you can take it. It is, but you know, to physically bulldoze the past, you know, to to kind of destroy it and physically remove all evidence, that's quite and that's quite an extreme kind of yeah. reaction, isn't it? To me, it feels extreme. It means you know, but I don't know what it means, but it's like because there's both love and there's rage, you know, and you see how closely they're connect, you know, he's showing love till the second he died in the second he died, bam, you know, and um. Like it's like he has to close it. You know, the thing with his child dying was so awful and painful that he had to make it almost not to you know, turn a key and not have existed. You, you also mentioned in your book um you, you hint at something but you don't you don't actually say uh, but uh, we all have quite strong feelings on this actually but you, you mentioned kind of that you you personally as somebody that did know him and and spoke to him uh, over many years were unhappy about some of the things that have happened in his name or uh you know under the banner of prince i mean what what kind of things do you think actually you know what prince would never have more... he'd never have sanctioned that you know it's more that Paisley Park's become a series of lawyers, none of whom knew Prince, who are just making decisions. And, you know, so far there haven't been any big, you know, I'm just afraid there are gonna be lots of half-baked records coming out that don't make, you know, the people making money now, long ago ceased being people in Prince's life, ceased being people, they ceased, they became, lawyers who get paid $300 an hour to put $20 t-shirt makers out of business. So that's, you know what I mean? Things, Prince wouldn't want this. Prince, you know, I don't know what happened with Moore's day, you know, but it seemed like the estate wanted to take his name away. It did. I, I don't know what happened. I, and I don't know what, but things where it seems like things he maybe wouldn't want done. Um, and people cashing in who were so disloyal during their lifetime, just cashing in. And suddenly they're experts where they used to take pride in how they hadn't talked for so long. You must have seen, you know, oh, people yeah. living as sort of prince experts, you know, it's like, and now that he's gone, there's no one to go. Well, just, just, just for the record, Neil, the, 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 there was something I saw online 
the, the other week and it was it was deemed an official product and it was i'm sure it was retailing at 300 dollars or several hundred yes. dollars and it was a glass kind of prince on a purple rain themed motorbike and i thought this is just horrific like why on why on earth i mean so, sorry to anyone who's listening who's bought that it's a treasured possession no, but it's, personal it's, views it's, that's horrendous it's like wait they'd sell that in the liberace museum and there are things worthy of you know maybe that's worth it it's so something but maybe it's something that you know um isn't quite in his his name so that's what i mean yeah. things done in his name that he really has i think would just knock him over you know absolutely the, the other thing the other thing is you you hinted at it there earlier but um you weren't a fan of paisley park now again, I, I will say this through the lens, and I'll be very honest. I've I've got very happy memories of going to Paisley Park uh, because I saw Prince play live a few times there, uh, including one time seven, seven nights in a row, which was quite something to behold. But I do. You know, I hear that, and it's like God. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. I just had a different experience, which was just from before it was even Paisley Park, and it was just a field. I just had a shudder, and I don't sure. believe. In but I had and I had I had to chip on my shoulder from that you know I, I acknowledge that but I just there always seemed to be such chaos going on and it's where I liked him least because he was the most bossy you know what I mean I liked him so I had so many prejudices and biases against it that it probably doesn't even count you know no I do I, I, I do get what you're saying though because and and you, but by the same token, to be balanced about it, you know, you talked about it almost like it could it have been a Xanadu. I mean, you know, the fact that I there, and also they've yeah. got a restraining order which has been ignored, saying that the, like my tapes of him belong are their intellectual property, and it's like wait a minute, my private conversations where nothing was signed, there was no like do or don't or. Yeah, I suppose it's true what you say, though, that I suppose Prince was the master of his his kind of domain there. But this concept you use of him being in a, a kind of prison, but it's almost like a prison of the mind or a prison of his own making. and yeah, it's a prison of your own making where you're your own guard, you know. I mean, even at the end, like he did that, no one had the combination to the vault and he had forgotten it. They had to drill through, you know and things were piling up there. It's, it's, you know, and I said to him when I got spooked, when I said, what does Paisley Park mean? And this is before Paisley Park existed. He just said, you know, we're going to build a 10 million square foot, you know, 50, you know, I was like, sure, that's great. It was right after Purple Rain. Um, but I said, what does Paisley Park mean? And he said, it's the place where you can go to be alone. Um, and that's when I got the chill was like, to seek out the place where you can go to be alone. You know, it doesn't, it, it, it gave me a chill, like something not good is gonna happen here, you know? And in my mind that he died alone is what was the not good thing. But again, I think there was a triumph. There is, it's not a sad story. It is no. a triumph over what could have been really a disastrous, could have been a disastrous human being, you know, growing up with all these different influences and talents and you know it could have just exploded but instead it exploded in creativity absolutely and listen I, I know i know everyone will ask you about this and i know you'll have been asked about this in and around the book in terms of the you, you talk about you actually talk up front in the book about your last conversation with him and feeling that there's something slightly off that it was almost an identical prince you know there's why yeah, it's like a very good imitation of mm. someone doing a very good prince imitation why why do you think he, he called you that day because do you, you mentioned that he may have sort of been reaching out to people but without actually explaining why that he he, he almost yeah. did a round of calls to lots of people in his life but why do you think he he, he may have called you that day have you have you mulled on that since Oh, gosh I thought you know and I don't know that's the thing is I don't know it was ostensibly because he'd just seen a reference to Stanley on the American version of The Office using the word mamma jamma. So ostensibly it was to call and say, God, I just, but he wasn't a very nostalgic person, especially at the end. So, 
that now I'm just tortured by, I mean, not tortured, but I don't know why he called. Was he reaching out? Should I, you know, I, I, what could I have done? And, you know, of course you realize there's nothing anyone could have done, you know, and people did, but it was, um, I, I don't know, which is the hardest thing to say. I wish I, I had an easy answer, but I don't know why. And that yeah. puzzles me to this day. Well, I, I was going to say, Neil, since you've written the book, are there any are there any things that um, you kind of thought, oh, I wish I'd I wish I'd put that in now that I kind of reflect on it, or is it just that did you feel like you put everything? I wish in that I'd you written to... a couple things better, so they didn't come out as you know. I wish I, but no, I've generally that's the book I wanted to write. I mean, I went through it eight times, so that for better and worse, I know. You know, that's that's the book I wrote. And so there are a few passages which have been sensationalized, which I wish I'd written more subtly or nuanced or not at four in the morning. You know, um, there's some of those things, but that this is the book I wanted to write. You know, I don't automatically go, yes, I've written it. It's brilliant. You know, it's like I needed it. It's good to hear. I, I learned from other people each time. I learned from you, you know, from what you pick up. from. Me. So thank you reading you know well and no and listen thank you for being so generous with your time it's it's been a really enjoyable conversation it's not it's not disappointed me uh one iota uh it's been fabulous i wish it could have been longer i wish your throat was stronger (laughs) and you know thank you for being a friend to prince it's great that you were a a friend to him and it's sad to me that he was very sad on a deep level and you know that, that, that things happened in his childhood that clearly created it made him a kind of defense defensive guarded person but yeah. you know ultimately would we have got would we have got the musical superhero right. and the but he had his he had his fun and he made his ruckus as he said you know so I, I think it's i think i i think he he did well by everybody you know well what, listen well well done for keeping the tapes well done for keeping them out of the hands of lawyers and you know, well done for honouring Prince's memory. I, I think I think it's a fabulous addition to the canon because I, I didn't think there was another book that we needed or that could shed any additional light, but you managed to do that. So, thanks. That means a lot. That really does. Yeah, I hope so. More real. Yeah.